Hey, Pinkers, and welcome back to the podcast, our first show of 2022 and our 100th episode, which is a pretty damn cool milestone for us to reach, considering it took us forever to get off our asses and even start recording the podcast to begin with. So over the last year and a half of stupid jokes and questionable advice, we've also had a ton of fun, some great conversation, and a bunch of guests. We're going to do a whole lot more of that over the coming year, including more interviews and, don't worry, a ton more stupid jokes. But I thought we'd do another big question and answer session today for our 100th episode and to kick off the new year. I know some of you were waiting to hear about cars or aliens for the 100th show, and We're probably going to touch on those in this podcast, to be honest, Uh, but I think we just need to do a regular big Q&A show and keep this a bit more on topic. So I've got a bunch of your questions below. I've divided them up into writing advice, tech questions, off-topic stuff, and a bunch of other things, and we're just going to roll through them randomly and see how far we get through. So this show might be a little bit longer than usual. Your question might come up, so definitely listen, and if it doesn't, Post it below this podcast and we'll get to it in a future episode. Now, speaking of us, it's not the Pink Pod without everyone's second favorite mic on the show. Casimir, how was your Christmas and New Year's? That was great. I didn't ride bikes. I just escaped and went skiing somewhere with no internet and it was the best. Where'd you go skiing? Where's the no internet? And can I go there? You can go there. It takes a helicopter. You got to take a helicopter. and then Oh, no, I'm you. not going. <laughs> no, a helicopter is the best way to travel. They're so good. No. It drops you off at this lodge in the uh, in the Canadian Rockies, and then it leaves and comes back and picks you up a week later. Oh. So you just skied and ate food and hung out? Yeah, that was it. Just the basics. That's all I need, really. I could do that forever and be very yeah. happy. How rowdy is the skiing up there, Kaz? Like, uh, are you a rowdy, rowdy you skier? Do you do, do, you do uh, rowdy stuff? Yes. Oh, but it was, it's as bright as you want it to be. You can, there's like mellower runs or like cool pillow lines and things to drop off and stuff. So yeah, yeah okay. it's amazing. And some like Alpine stuff, you can go up and tour around the glacier and go ski some shoots. And yeah, it was the best. Wow. That does sound good. How long has it been yeah. since you've ridden? Uh, I rode yesterday. Oh, damn it. Yeah. yeah I rode the day after <laughs> I came back. It's weird, but I <laughs> know it didn't last long because now it's raining here. I'm back in Bellingham, but, uh, but yeah, I could definitely go for some more powder also. Yeah, nice. All right, we've also got Henry on the show, the youngest Pink Bike podcaster on today's episode. Henry, a new year, a new you? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I hope so. I've got a renewed sense of optimism about about the place in general. But it's funny, man, like, so I'm going to be 30 in a couple of months. And uh, I feel like I feel like it's showing. I was, um, I was hanging out with my friend the other day and I put my hand in my pocket and I felt this, like, thin package that's like about two inches like a square package clearly like metal and i thought what's this in my pocket and i brought it out thinking have i got a, what i think it is in my pocket where are you going with this <laughs> it was a tea bag an individually wrapped tea bag and i was just like oh my god i'm getting fucking older man <laughs> well, <laughs> just i mean it's cold out cre- and tea's delicious <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be bad if you thought you're out for a night on the town and you reach in your pocket and you're like, oh, it's just a tea bag. It's not what I thought I needed. <laughs> We've also got Sarah on the show. Sarah Moore, how was your Christmas and New Year's? It was wonderful. I also did a whole lot of skiing, alpine touring, and alpine skiing at Mount Revelstoke, and cross-country skiing. So yeah, spent a bunch of time with my family in Revelstoke, and yeah, it was really fun. I'm looking out the window right now, Sarah. We're both in Squamish. When was the last time you rode a bike? Oh, like 
maybe mid-December, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while. <laughs> and I came back to Squamish and I was like, oh, so the nearest skiing is like a bit of a drive away and we can't go. I mean, even like running is lethal right now because there's ice everywhere. Yeah. I don't know what to do with myself. Maybe I'll just go back to Revelstoke and go skiing some more. You might as well. Yeah. <laughs> so for some for some context... Squamish has more snow than it's gotten since, like, I don't know, the 70s or something, maybe, which isn't a ton. It's just like a couple feet, maybe two and a half feet in some places. But for a town that doesn't get that kind of snow, it's it's definitely put everything to a stop. I think that's the key. It's not used to dealing with snow. And so whenever it snows, it's, yeah, a bit of a mess. Because, I yeah. mean, this amount of snow in a town that deals with snow wouldn't be that crazy. But, yeah, yeah. it's... It's a little messy out there. <laughs> well, I want I want you guys to know that I've been riding nonstop. I think I've ridden five of the last six days, Casimir. Casimir, oh, yeah. you've only ridden one of the last days. It's true. You're falling you behind, Casimir. Are you back on the every single day? I'm doing as much swifting as possible. I'm and training! I'm going to burn out by January 10th. <laughs> or they said January 17th, I read somewhere, is uh, Quitter's Day. So That's Quitter's Day. Yeah, I don't think oh, I'll yeah. make it that long, though. Yeah, you have one more week, then. <laughs> Where are you riding? Indoors? He's whiffing it up? Yeah. Yeah. Lots of Zwift. I'm doing the Tour de Zwift. It's a stage race, Kaz. Oh, online. sounds great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are you being truthful about your weight? Or are you putting yeah. yourself down as like 43 kilograms and just smashing no, everyone? I don't know what I am in kilograms. But no, my actual weight, because it's only... I mean, you're only hurting yourself if you don't be honest. Well, yeah, I know, but there's a lot of there's a lot I know. You there's see, a lot of that going on on Zwift. You see the guy on there that climbs for an hour at eight watts per kilogram or something like that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> congratulations. Yeah. Anyways, let's get into the questions. And the first one, it's about the field test, Casimir, and it's for you. He says. In one of the podcasts, you talked about viewers not understanding the nature of the trails you're testing on and only seeing the gnarliest or the most photogenic parts of our test track. In the future, would you consider adding a course tour video? Uh, he goes on to say something as easy as a GoPro video with a layover in the top corner showing where we are in the trail. And obviously, this wouldn't be something we would have in the review, but for people that maybe want to see the whole course, Kaz... Would you upload a like a 15, 20-minute video so they have an idea what we're riding these bikes on? Yeah, it's not a bad idea. I mean, it usually just comes down to time. Like, we're so crammed for time in a lot of these field tests. So just even squeezing that in can be kind of hard. But, yeah, it's not a bad idea. It's You can see the course. It's, it's not like we're hiding anything. We're just riding bikes in the woods. So you can uh, – yeah, it might be. Maybe we can squeeze one out for the next test and see how it goes. Yeah, it's not like we're – I mean, if anything – Sometimes we don't want to show that the, the the terrain is rowdier than the bikes was in, were intended for. Sometimes it's not like the terrain isn't challenging enough, right? Yeah, but it's all yeah. It's just yeah, and all the trails that we're riding are public, uh, so we can like we can put a little trail forks link or something. But yeah, that's a not a bad suggestion. We've thought about doing it before, so if we've got time for this next field test. Yeah, we'll probably get that going. Yeah, and I should also mention too that if you guys want to see our laps from the last field test we did in Pemberton. You could track down myself or Casimir on Strava and you can see the lap and go check it out yourself. Not right now because it's under five feet of snow probably, but maybe in a few months time. Next question. Ooh, this one is for Mr. Quinny and this is about the budget versus baller video series. It's from I Measure Stuff. He says, the comment section of the latest video elegantly addresses the shortcomings of the series. In a nutshell, basically... 
He says, we're deliberately downgrading the existing parts on the bike. And it's not really going to benefit everybody or anyone that's watching it. Whereas the other bike has super high-end components on it. Um, so basically, yeah, his, he's basically asking, if one bike has such crap parts, what's the point? Henry, I okay. think you're going to blame me. Uh, right. So hear me out. So I'm going to talk about this very directly. Um, you know, if I... If I didn't like somebody, I would never waste my time disagreeing with them. Do you know what I mean? I would just be like, fuck them, who who cares? Mm -hmm. But I'm going to talk about this, and I hope it's not me being antagonistic or digging my heels in, um, but rather me just seeing seeing the lay of the land. Um, The the series has come in for a lot of criticism in the comments, um, which is absolutely fine. I mean, I would say that there's a metric that you use on the back end of YouTube called watch time which basically is a really important one. So how, how much you click is neither here nor there. Watch time means how long people are watching for. The watch time is extraordinarily high on this series. So people in the comments might be disagreeing, but the really usable metric about whether people are actually watching it is, is quite high. So I think that although the criticism is absolutely valid, um, I think it's maybe not necessarily reflective of everyone's opinion of it. I would also say that, so I'm just giving lots of caveats here before I really, <laughs> really let rip, you know, I will make up my mind how I feel about something before it goes goes live, you know, because I think nobody would like the things that I was would put out if I was trying to if I was worried about people liking them or not, you know. And so I, I'll make an opinion, and that's that. So before Budget Wear Smaller came out, there were lots of things that like, oh man, we should have done this differently. We executed that poorly, you know. The series definitely could be could be could be improved, and that's just the truth of it. However. I do think it's a uh, quite a superficial criticism that's being levelled about the, the the. Listen, we would be wholly irresponsible if we tested parts by doing one run on a rainy afternoon and giving a serious verdict. Like if we put a, a domain on there instead of this cheap fork, and then said this, you know, this is a serious product that people are going to buy because they wanted to contend. It would be wholly irresponsible to give like using our editorial clout to be like whoa this domain is great yada 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 because we do that we do that really in depth and people say why isn't this about like the real budget stuff you know the budget name is because it's a good title but don't worry about it too much you know but like if we spent our time you know only reviewing high-end parts then that'd be a very if this was our one chance to review entry-level or mid-level parts then yeah that's completely fair criticism but we do that all the time. And in every single review we do, we compare against... Like, I had those DDM tyres last month, and I was comparing against the Minion. And people said, why didn't you put them on the budget versus baller bike? But here's here's the truth. It would make a really dull series, because deal would be better. The DDM tyres would be better. We already the, know the answers. We we know that it would be dull. It's it's if you if The truth is, if you're looking for something... If you're a really kind of advanced mountain biker, and you're looking to expand your tech, you know your understanding of tech and your horizons about about the latest and greatest available mountain bikes this isn't the series for you um this is just entertainment um which you might not like it and that's fine we can't all like everything and um that's absolutely fine it's sad that you don't like it but it's fine that you don't and that's just how it is i think i'm gonna put my hand up and take a little bit of i don't want to call it blame but a little bit of the heat as well because to be fair we also plan this the budget versus baller stuff before you came around, Henry. And mm. 
I yeah, picked I just all jumped these... on this grenade, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> Under the for bus. me, <laughs> you jumped on it for me. Um, and I picked all those parts. I picked the expensive stuff it's... and the inexpensive stuff. And in hindsight, I think the commenters definitely have a point. I think we probably went a little bit too cheap. Maybe would you? Yeah, but listen, like I've done videos before. I remember I once did a video for GMBM where I did high-end tyres versus entry-level tyres. And the entry-level tyres we chose were probably about $40. And all the comments were saying, why didn't you choose some $20 tyres? Why is it always so... Yeah. You, some, as soon as you bring it in terms of budget or anything subjective like that, where it's going to be people saying, I can afford this, I can't afford that, my experience is this, my experience is that, people will just love to pick it apart. And that's absolutely fine. Like, listen, how to put this? If people don't like it, that is completely fine. But like, being told, like, I just find it strange that, like, if I'm if I'm being very honest, like, the campaign, like, some people keep sending me messages, like, repeated messages, like, you didn't fix it this week. We filmed the series, like, two months ago. Like, I'm not, do you know what I mean? It's done. And I'm sorry. Like, if we do a second series, <laughs> we'll do it we'll, again. We'll, <laughs> wash my hands of it. <laughs> but, like, it's done. Like, and, um, yeah. fuck, like, yeah. I don't just, I don't know, I clearly have a very different relationship to some of the viewers on it which is fine like they're really i mean the best thing about pink bike is that everyone feels very involved and they've got real ownership over the site which is sick because it makes people really passionate and sometimes it's annoying when you kind of fly in the face of that but also sorry to go on a massive massive tangent here but if you think about what is so if you if you were running a tv network and you said um, we're going to make inclusive content that wouldn't be making like say children's programs because that's what everyone can watch because obviously you need to have a whole breadth of programming. And um, similarly, if we only made beginner content, then that'd be completely dull and it wouldn't be inclusive at all. Similarly, if we only made advanced content, that'd be completely fine. But there is a lot of engagement on this series. So maybe if you're an advanced mountain biker, it's not great for you. But mm-hmm. a lot of people are watching it and they keep watching it. And I don't know what to say because it's, you know. Henry, have you noticed a difference in how it's been received between the pink bike homepage and YouTube in the comment section at all? Um, yes and no. I mean, I haven't. I try not to look on the YouTube comments. To be honest with Same. You. I I work on the assumption that me and your average pink bike viewer would be friends. Me and your average YouTuber probably wouldn't. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But the YouTube like, comments are usually more positive, so that's interesting that you try. Oh, to I should go on there then. Yeah, yeah, it's gotten nicer. Yeah, it's different. That in, initially YouTube used to be more mean, but now the YouTube comments tend to be nice, and then the pink bike, pink bike ones are mean. It's very strange. Yeah. But I think it goes to who your audience is. Like yeah, that like you were saying, this series isn't designed to appeal to your hardcore knows everything mountain biker it's kind of your general interest like i'm looking for something funny to watch oh look these guys are funny they're doing stuff i'm gonna watch this and uh, for okay, that i think it's the mark so honestly, it's definitely entertaining get... so i think you yeah you hit the goal of it being entertaining I, for sure i used to get absolutely eaten alive in the youtube comments when i first started so i don't go on them anymore. i mean it was awful yeah. and they were right because i was fucking awful but it was <laughs> yeah. it was so bad i don't think you were awful ass. henry no, oh no, no dude no. at the start Oh my god! I was one day. I still can't even watch those videos. I'm so worried that someone's going to find them. They are everybody the listening. Comments. Let's yeah, go find them. So mean. Post the <laughs> links in the comments. Oh god. Hey Painful. Henry. And what's worse is when in, they're true. But go on. In in the budget versus baller stuff, what is the budget component that you're most impressed by? That maybe I should say holds you back the least amount. You know, I mean, like pres- presuming the cockpit doesn't snap in half, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely fine. 
Um, the pedals basically just like knock off like probably like HT ones from like three or four years ago. They're absolutely fine. They're not great, but they're fine. Um, yeah. They do pedal things. Yeah. 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 Something like that, maybe. The grips. Do, grips. Before we move on, I'm just curious fine. about the tires. Okay. So the old Mike Bears. Um, yeah, that was that was a mistake. I think we went to. The, I don't. I don't think it was a stake in the cost. I think it was a. Listen, they said they were enduro tires, so I mean, <laughs> but right. it would have been great to see something a bit more aggressively treaded. I I also made a mistake in that I set the tires up tubeless in the office. They were absolutely fine. They held pressure, and um, and then we went on the trail. And once the carcass started twisting a bit, they just started pissing sealant and air, and then so I had oh, to keep yeah. pumping them up. So that was kind of my fault as well. So after the first video, I did tubes just throughout. Yeah. Oh boy, yeah. Okay, let's go to something a little bit more positive now. Pink bike user Grugged, he wants to know what content we're most proud of, and which, <laughs> oh boy, which me, which content we most regret. So, Sarah, let's start with the positive stuff. What stories that you've put together are you most proud of? I feel like there's so much work that goes into like something like the cross country, down country field test that we did. Yeah, that was, was well so received. good. So yeah. I think that's probably some of the content that I'm most proud of. And then just I really enjoy doing interviews with people who kind of might not get the spotlight and then we're able to, you know, do an in-depth interview with them and, and get them in the in the pink bike limelight. So those are some of the stories yeah. that kind of and you make a you know a personal connection with somebody. So I did an interview with like Hannah Bergman last year, Catherine Pendrel. Uh, Haley Batten so those are some of the the content that I kind of like look back with with like most fun yeah I would agree with that XC field test thing I was sort of worried going into that Sarah because you know XC bikes on pink bike reviews (laughs) and not only that we're wearing lycra and I think that you and I first of all I think you and I had a great rapport on camera it was good we were joking around we had tons of fun while we were doing it but then I think it was just received super well, and I didn't expect that. So, yeah, that would yeah. be up there for me as well, too. What about you, Kaz? What are you most proud of? Uh, I think just our, our general our reviews in general, like whether they're field test reviews or the normal bike reviews or product reviews. I think we've gotten to a pretty good place where we're, you know, our opinions are accurate and fair. We all ride a ton. We put a bunch of miles on the stuff. So, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of what we're able to put out to help people decide you know, what to purchase for their next bike. I think that um, we're pretty transparent in how we do our things and yeah that's that's the stuff that at the end of the year i'm like oh yeah we did a good you know we feature all the important bikes let people know about them let them know the pros the cons so yeah i'm happy with that stuff yeah for me i would have to say well for this year probably i like the podcast it's been a lot of fun um and then the field test stuff i did a bit less of them this year but um they turned out great i think and then a few stories that i wrote that gary hausman story um where he won the world cup in grouse i was pretty stoked with that all right henry what about you what are you most proud of how long have you actually been at pink bike first off this is and a year today yeah. I, w- I thought you've only been here for a few months time flies well i thought my output has been about a few months worth but i managed to get yeah. out over a year um you know it's hard i mean i think we, we all have a thing where we look back and it's sometimes hard to think i hard to even think what you've done like um i think i've made some good oblique pop culture references and that's probably i made a great rocky one in my first video of a pink bike that i'm stoked with and that's that's good enough for me henry i i want to call you out and say that those news that didn't happen articles are my favorite on pb 
those ones. I think you like them. Yeah, I love, I love them. those. Yeah. You bring something to it, to PB, that, that we didn't have before, like that sort of dry sarcasm and tearing into people. It's great. Yeah, I mean, well, maybe I need to restart that. I've kind of let it slip. Um, I've thought, I know, I've always, me and mine and Brian's text conversations are just fake headlines to one another. So maybe I need to need to get on that. <laughs> just go <laughs> yes. through those headlines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, before, before we move on, I do want to toot Pink Bike's horn about one more thing. This is actually from probably three or four years ago now, but I'm still proud of this, proud of Pink Bike as a whole. That doping story we did when Richie Rude and Jared Graves got pinged, no other cycling media really covered it beyond like press releases from the EWS and like a few blurbs. But we did a ton of stuff and we did it super professional, which is surprising sometimes. But yeah, I think looking back, that's some of the best stuff we've done as well about something that was important. So yeah, I'm going to put that on there as well. Nice. All right, next question. Henry, this one might be for you since you were a mechanic on a World Cup race team. This guy, Xanda23, he wants to know how much race teams cost. And there's probably a pretty wide bracket depending on, you know, who's racing for them and what they're doing. But do you, can you give us an idea just low and high? Well, I suppose if you take it into account like a top 20 wide, wide a top 20 riders wages, it's um, what about $3 a year? And that can range to about a million dollars a year for a top top three rider. Um, I mean, that's going to be the biggest one is that some of these riders just don't get paid at all. Um, so there's going to be a huge variance within that. Um, I would say, at the top of my head, for probably a three rider team, just costs, it's probably going to cost around two or three hundred thousand. Yeah. That'd be my estimate. Did Did you make good money being a World Cup mechanic? It was, a, it was pretty good, man. Like, I got a decent wage and I didn't have any living expenses because I just went away for six months um, and I got two bikes out of it so I'd come back to New Zealand with enough I could not work the New Zealand summer sh- should I wanted to um, yeah. so yeah it was alright yeah. yeah possibly like the dream eh sounds like the dream for a certain point at your life it was I mean if I was in Europe or North America I'd love to do it again but New Zealand because you go away for the whole six months because it's, it's you know I never was I know maybe I didn't wrangle myself a good enough deal to get by. I didn't really want to fly back and forth a lot, but you are away. Just you're away from home. Um, I think if you're living in the Alps and you just you know you nipped away for a weekend to go racing, that'd be pretty sick. Next question is from Dude Get a Bike Kaz. This is one. This one is for both of us. He's talking about the Mike versus Mike race, but he would also want to see an entire series where the whole staff, or at least those presenting and reviewing bikes. We're to race three different races together. One of them be an XC course with laps, climbing and strategy, one more of a trail enduro race, uh, and one more of a straight up downhill race. What do you think of that, Kaz? I think that'd be pretty neat. We've talked about it. It's got to happen, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe a three race series. I mean, that sounds like kind of a lot. I think we're definitely doing some Mike versus Mike race this year, though, with all sorts of challenges. But for having all the presenters and everybody... I mean, that sounds maybe. like you guys are all signing up for Pink Bike Academy. Like, the yeah, I don't think we need Pink to go Pink Bike Academy. Bike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I think ideally you do get to see a little bit of the people riding during the field tests. But I also think Tom Bradshaw might be planning some sort of like staff race, something party extravaganza. Oh so maybe there's something in the works. Um, yeah, so no promises on that one. But yeah, we'll try to make sure everybody gets enough camera time this year to figure out how we all ride. So, yeah. Of all the Pink Bike reviewers, who's going to win a downhill race, Kaz? uh matt beer 
Yeah, that oh, went that's pretty fair. easy. <laughs> <laughs> National champion? Yeah, I think he's going to win. <laughs> well, let's not tell him we're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> right. If we don't invite him, I want a uh, then I'll win against you. <laughs> yeah, he'll win on the no, bu- budget versus uh, baller bike. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. What about what about enduro? Let's let's uh, let's pretend Matt it has some like prior commitment. He can't come. What about an enduro race? <laughs> Matt, Matt, Matt is like a, yeah, right. yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if we take He's Matt like locked in a cupboard. Somewhere. Are you saying like yeah? I mean, I'll win that. No. Yeah, I'll beat you in an enduro race. Well, that's, I, I think Kaz that's would, the whole plan. This year, we're going to race. How do you think that, Henry? I think I'm faster be... than you. So out of us, out of us. <laughs> Are you trying to what what do you, what do you want me to what do you want me to know? Do you want me to rank the PB tech editors in terms of speed? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. We don't we don't happened. need to <laughs> We don't need to get into it. Yeah. We don't be faster we don't... than me. I think I'd be bringing up the rear. I think it'd be Mike, Mike, Henry. And then Why do you think Henry would beat me? Uh because you would crash. You would go fast. Like you're Oh yeah. You're like 110% and then zero because you're in the trees. So you might be faster yeah, yeah, than yeah. us in yeah. some splits, but then the time you have to spend like getting out of the bushes would make you go slower yeah i'd like us we'd have to all do it on the same bike too i think that would be great well yeah, this on is one, i'm gonna one bike i'm gonna turn those giant reins back to their standard spec so this could be this could happen i'm already training Kaz. i'm on zwift every day twice a day three yeah times you should day. be burned out in another month so if we can plan this for like may or june <laughs> i'm ready usual. yeah, yeah Ka- Kaz is on the jesse melamed training plan he's doing all the powder skiing right so yeah powder skiing is definitely important training <laughs> Sarah, have you ridden with Alicia yet? Just once. It was really She's fun. pretty good. She's do really you think good. do you think do you think you got her in a race? Totally depends on the race cuz <laughs> I took her on my favorite loop but it wasn't her favorite loop, so I would definitely win <laughs> if we did end trails with all the like skinny little bridges into like a little technical oh, climb. Yeah. Into... We're <laughs> not doing any skinnies. <laughs> it's part of mountain biking. No. It's definitely part of mountain biking. Um but yeah, probably on like a flow trail, she'd be faster than me or like super steep stuff. She's definitely like more fearless than me. I would say on, uh, what's that trail? Like cop killer. She said she did that thing and crashed. And I was like, I don't want to do that thing. <laughs> I heard she had a little bit of a crash on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She, did clean the, she did it clean the day before though, to be fair. Though. She did she it clean the day before. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know who'd be faster. I mean, she's been racing a lot more at Transkids Katie the past year so. I'd say she'd probably win. But like Whistler, Whistler EWS. We just need I to get like, a whole team going. Yeah, I get everybody going. Yeah, I feel like I was a, a lot. You have to kind of like work into racing. I feel like I haven't raced in a while, kind of since I hurt myself. I feel like I'm a little more fearful than I was, but at the same time, like when you get the race, the race tape, down. and I'm between the race tape, I'm like, okay, we're on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very different Sarah between the race tape and not between the race tape, you know? <laughs> no giggling. <laughs> yeah, so if we just went out for a casual friend Juro, I would definitely lose because I'd be like, oh, it's not worth the risk. But as soon as there's a little timer <laughs> on and my name's going to be on a results list, I don't know, all bets are off, guys. <laughs> nice. You're definitely a smiling sass and Sarah. People, people have no clue. It's... Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Our next question. This is from Seventhy. It's like Timothy, but with a seven. He says, Robin might not want to talk about it, but do any of you like riding under the influence? And if so, what do you like? Uh, He goes on to say, we all know about summit beers, but sometimes my friends and I like riding on half a dose of something psychedelic. Henry, do you ever ever like riding under the influence? We should probably be responsible. Yeah, It it would be too much for me. I can't even have a beer and ride. I, it's the placebo effect. I just get all weird. Um, 
yeah. yeah. Oh God, no. But fair play, I mean, some people like to get high and stuff yeah. and ride, and I think that's cool if that's what you enjoy. But I can't imagine ever it not ending badly. I see the summit beers all the time. Obviously, I mean, I don't really drink. I don't really like the taste of alcohol, but. The last thing I would want to drink is like a fizzy carbonated beer before I, I don't know. Everybody oh, out there it. right now. Why? <laughs> I have to I say, do I don't really drink that much Ugh. beer, but like having a beer like in the Alpine and just like getting to the top of a summit somewhere in the middle of nowhere, either biking or skiing and just like having a beer if it's not too cold. Winter so the beers has are to be reward. like spring. It's, yeah. And then, well, and also it's a good excuse to sit out at the top of the mountain for a little bit longer because often people are like okay well time to go back down and you're like oh but it's so beautiful here so then you have your drink and it's like just the right amount of you know yeah buzz and then yeah hang out for a little bit and go back down so i wouldn't say like riding or skiing under the influence but just that summit beer like not mm-hmm. drinking too much at the top i definitely enjoy that mm-hmm. and also yeah. having a beer at the end of a ride it always tastes better too uh, yeah, I don't really drink, but I'm also not into the whole beer bro culture thing that tends to surround mountain bike and all. Like everybody Kills thinks they're me. so cool because they brought a six pack and like, then they just, I just hate <laughs> That's it. That's really like, heavy. That's a lot of beer. I'll beat you at Backcountry Cast. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of drunks in mountain biking and I don't like that side of it. So uh, no. And also, yeah, I can't ski or ride high or any of that. It just like, it doesn't work. So uh, yeah. yeah, so no, uh, no brain changing things for me while I'm on the bike. It doesn't, I just can't do it. Some people are wired different, but yeah, personally nothing for me i have to say i was kind of equally it is almost equally pleasant to bring like a coca-cola or something to the top and have the same experience of drinking something actually they probably taste better in my opinion <laughs> at the top of a mountain in the alpine so yeah. it's all yeah. about just sitting in the alpine in the sunshine that's pretty much my favorite thing yeah. to do over the summer we had a couple of rides where we made root beer floats mid-ride by stopping at a gas station we felt ill afterwards and for the next good chunk of the ride, but it was pretty good. If <laughs> you just buy like that a thing of root beer <laughs> and some ice cream and just like pound it down, it was pretty fun. So I'll go with root beer floats over uh, whatever else. <laughs> Kaz, we live in the Pacific Northwest where everybody and everybody's neighbor and everybody's cousin and their dog smokes weed. Do you ever ride in smoke or have you ever ridden in smoked? No, same thing. I just can't. Like, I mean, I've I've tried to, to see if anything works for this stuff, but no, it doesn't like, I just lose focus and can't, I like to be yep. like focused on riding and not have anything mess with my yeah. head. And so, yeah, these days I don't, I don't smoke. I don't drink. I do. I don't do any of that. So that's just kind of yeah. how I am. I definitely don't mountain bike and smoke. I feel like, well, I mean, I'm, I don't feel like myself. I feel like I forget what's coming up on the trail when I'm, when I'm high and riding a mountain bike and like more disconnected. I definitely, if I'm doing like a long gravel ride, I might bring something with me for a big climb or something, but it's not mountain biking. Like you're just, pipe, you're just sitting in the drops and yes, a crack pipe. <laughs> How to make gravel riding. <laughs> Is that what you said? Just a crack a, pipe? A bit of crack. crack. Just a little bit of crack. <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> That's all it takes, everybody. <laughs> Oh, okay. Simothy also has a different question. He wants to know, out of all the zillions of bikes we've ridden, do they ever feel the same? Does the industry worry that the rigs are different enough from the rest of the crowd? Basically, he wants to know, are all these bikes kind of converging, Kaz? Like enduro bikes, trail bikes. Do all the trail bikes feel the same? Do all the enduro bikes feel the same? What do you think? They don't really. There's obviously similarities, but I don't think I've ever had a bike that I would that would feel identical to another one. You know, some are pretty close, but they always have enough little different spec choices or some angles different than another. But I mean, I think they're converging onto a pretty good point. But I would say that, yeah, even two bikes with almost identical geometry, but from two different companies, they tend to feel different. Just enough to at least enough to write about and explain. But um, 
whether one's better than another, that's a little, that's becoming less of a debate really. It's more about just like figuring out the subtle differences rather than like this bike is crap. This one is awesome. Cause there's less of that going on these days. Yeah. If, if we get two test bikes in and the geo is super similar and they both say they both use some variation of a linkage driven single pivot, but the pivots might be in different places and one might have a Fox air shock and the other one might have a rock shocks coil shock. So there's, there's still tons of things that could be different and they all change how these things perform. So, you know how we do the things with the, uh, the bikes silhouettes and you try to guess which ones are which mm-hmm. that'd be sweet if you guys did that but with real bikes and you don't actually see the bikes that you're riding and you tell us which ones you're on i wonder how many you would actually get right in the, like of all the bikes you've reviewed in the past year it's kind of an impossible thing to do but uh, that yeah. would be hard yeah i don't think i could do it like i don't know if i could ride a bike and be like oh, i'm definitely on a santa cruz mega tower i don't think i could do that probably just because i've ridden so many <laughs> no. bikes that it wouldn't be able to like pull out the we we did do some well i did do some blind testing with different handlebars and trying to figure out which if i could tell the difference between a handlebar with designed in flex this carbon thing with designed in flex and i had six handlebars and somebody to change them out and they wrapped pipe insulation around them so i couldn't even tell what handlebar i was using guess what i guessed wrong every single time and yeah <laughs> so oh, man, it sounds know. like a lot of work and that was a lot of work yeah result. <laughs> yeah that was a lot of work anyway so i'm not all that convinced about these handlebars that say they absorb vibrations but next question this is from scope bite 270 he says he's been extremely happy with his current bike a niner rip nine uh, his buddy just got an evil switching between models now a couple of them are on yetis Basically, he says, everybody's always talking about finding the one bike that does everything well, but he wants to know, Henry, is there one brand that does everything well? Is there a brand out there that designs and sells bikes that are do all the things? Um, I mean, I think there are some bike brands out there that they don't really make a dud. I think all the all the bikes in their range are good. Um but one that goes from the full breadth of all the bikes. I mean, apart from Specialized and Trek, because they're just so big, how could they not? Um, but, you know, there are some brands that I find myself always following with great curiosity. Like, I think Nukeproof tend to just make really good bikes. I think that that sort of no-nonsense approach, I think, lends itself really well, you know, to endearing themselves towards me for whatever reason. I think a brand like Nukeproof tends to, tends to get them pretty right most of the time. But then you get the transitions are pretty good. You know, the common style seems to be in like a, this period of just making amazing bikes at the moment that we review really well. Um, what, about, what about you guys? What do you think? Yeah, I, kind of, I think for me, I kind of look at like the little details being taken care of. So I do think like the Specialized, they tend to have it pretty well sorted, you know, cable routing and all that stuff. Santa Cruz does a really good job too. Like they're expensive. So if we're going to value, they don't offer the best value. But a lot of the little details, they've got the lifetime warranty on the bearings. So um, like quality wise, I've been pretty impressed with Santa Cruz's. I think, yeah, a lot of little companies are doing a good job, but sometimes you just don't get things quite as dialed in. You know, the paint might not be the same level or the little things like that, but overall the the ride quality is definitely there for the smaller brands. Yeah. I tell Scope by 270 that if he's looking for a brand that does everything well, like Henry said, look at the bigger companies because they have to make bikes for everybody. Like Trek has to make a Remedy or a Fuel EX or whatever. Like that bike has to be good everywhere, just like a giant or a specialized uh, where some of the smaller brands, they can afford to maybe be a little bit more niche. I mean, they're not selling near, nearly as many bikes, so maybe those bikes can be more focused. So, yeah, that's what I would look at. Henry, I've got another question for you. Uh, Thoromian, 
He wants to know, Henry, if you consistently disagree with me, does that always make you correct? That's the presumption I'm working on. Yeah, that's what. Yeah. (laughs) Fair tactic. (laughs) (laughs) Next question. This is from Dave Fontaine. This is a good one. We're going to go back to the field test where we had that We Are One arrival that we all really, really liked. So his question is, I thought the We Are One arrival would be a shoe-in for Bike of the Year nominee after hearing the ride impressions from the field test it was in. So how come it wasn't on our short list of Bike of the Year nominees, guys? It was number five out of four. So like it actually was. It was everybody, yeah, caused a ruckus. But if you look, we look, we have a spreadsheet for people that don't know. We have a spreadsheet. We put all the bikes and we argue a bunch and eventually pick them. And it was the fifth one out of the, the slots. So we could have probably just tossed in a nominee and had it been the fifth, but we cut it to four. So no real reason. Like it was a good bike. Everybody liked it. And we just had to make decisions. So out of our favorites, it ended up being the fifth favorite out of. And the PB Awards stressed me the fuck out. Like people put so much so much emphasis on them and i mean they are important but like we're just sitting here talking about these bikes and we have to pick we have to pick a bike you know we have to pick four or five nominees out of 50 amazing bikes or even more that we've reviewed this year and there's a really good chance that 48 or 49 or 47 of those 50 are going to be amazing or at least like really impressive sometimes yeah the ones we like don't make it it's stressful Kaz yeah it's, it's always stressful. weird and, and people put so much weight in them which I mean it is cool because it is obviously if you're a company you like to be the the bike of the year and if you're a consumer that has that bike you want your bike to be bike of the year or if it's a bike you're considering so but that doesn't mean just because your bike didn't make the list that it's a bad bike we, we say that a lot but you know like my bike's not bike of the year it's not going to work obviously it's going to work and and the bike we pick the Norco range it's not going to be the bike for everybody and we explained that too but that just ended up being the one that kind of epitomized the theme of the year just the most impressive downhill performance for that enduro kind of style bike this year so it ended up being the winner because why was the 2021 pink bike bike of the year not awarded to a 2019 yt capra that's what i don't get yeah that's a tough question i'm still trying to sort that one out (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm glad i missed those meetings i'm not gonna lie All right. Next question. This is from D. Mackey. You heard. He says, I've heard that SIDS commonly develop bushing play and damper issues as they are more designed for bikes like the Blur and Lux. Have you run into this? So basically, he's insinuating maybe these forks aren't designed. SIDS aren't designed for such rowdy riding, and that's why some of them are getting bushing plays. We've seen a number of SIDS on test bikes over the past year get bushing play, and I would argue it has nothing to do with how the bikes are being ridden because the bushing play develops basically right away. Like, you know, first or second ride, something funny is going on. And, I mean, bushing play is something that can happen over time. Bushings are a wear item, but it's definitely not from the bikes being ridden hard. It's manufacturer tolerances. And, man, I haven't seen any damper issues from the SID, but aside from the bushing play, that fork is absolutely amazing. Let's switch gears a little bit. This next one is from Smoking Tires. He wants to know, how does anyone afford to live in Whistler? Every property I see is pretty expensive and all the jobs on Indeed look like shit. (laughs) Welcome to Ski Town. Sarah? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I don't live in Whistler. (laughs) I live in Squamish. (laughs) Yeah, but we're familiar with it. (laughs) Yeah. um, I mean, it is... There's like housing crisis in a lot of small mountain town towns right now, so I don't think Whistler is exempt from that. Um, there's a lot of people that spend a lot of their income 
on rent uh, in order to live in an amazing place that has amazing skiing, amazing mountain biking. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, I don't have the solution to it, but yeah, there's definitely, how do, how do people afford? I think they live with a lot of other people, um, which isn't, you know, I think that's kind of the, how do you make rent cheaper is you just live with a whole bunch of people. So it's not uncommon to see, yeah, people with tons of roommates um, just to make ends meet. There's always, you know, saying it's like, oh, you got a spare closet. Oh, well, you could rent it to like four people. Like <laughs> That's a thousand dollars each. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah. it kind of crazy for how much of like a person's income can end up going to rent. Um, and then a lot of the, like the housing market in Squamish, Vancouver, Whistler, and I mean, a lot of small mountain time, towns with people being able to work remote, people are working remotely from these small mountain towns. And so that kind of drives up the price as well. So how does anyone afford to live in Whistler? There is staff housing, I know, for people who work for Whistler. And yeah, I think a lot of roommates and mm-hmm. and also just your living in a place that you want to live and it's a lifestyle and you're going to make some sacrifices. You're not, you know, maybe saving a ton for retirement or investing in your $2 million starter home. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, I think it's, it's more difficult and you got to kind of have different, maybe the priorities need to be reworked around. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's any coincidence that most of the people that live in Whistler in those situations, they live there for the riding and the skiing and they live with 13 other people and, they pay a lot of money, but that's the price to live somewhere like this, I guess, eh? It's beautiful. It's a pretty special place, I gotta say. And I mean, yeah, lifestyle, I mean, work-life balance, figuring it all out. It's uh, yeah. something everybody works on, I think, every day. Henry, you were briefly considering talking about moving to Whistler. I mm-hmm. heard you say that once. Oh, How yeah, come you didn't do that? Um, why didn't I do that? I don't know. Because Squamish was supposed to be snow-free all <laughs> yeah. winter. Snow so, free. like, why would you live one. in Whistler? <laughs> Yeah, that was a big one. I mean, I'm not, I mean, why didn't I move to Whistler? I quite like the kind of the dirtbag scene, like people just living like 15 people in a small house just to ride and stuff. Those are the people I tend to kind of get on with best. And I think I, was, I sh- everyone's quite refined and grown up in Squamish. It makes me quite uncomfortable. You know what I mean? There aren't that many dirtbags here and I haven't really found that many of my people, you know? Um, but yeah. also I feel like I'm always, you know, living in Queenstown and mountain towns and stuff for years i'm always always ranting and raving about people coming in and driving up the house price but that's kind of what i've done here so i try and you know it's the people that have second homes they can just have you seen the traffic on the sea of sky if i could second have two houses i'd Spanish. have two houses <laughs> especially when they come up like their second home and the other homes in vancouver it's like get in your fucking car and drive you lemon why do you need to own two houses for god's sake like it's a housing oh man sorry i'm gonna go for a rant here but yeah that's how i feel all right, let's move on to a classic question. This one is from Short Jeff C. Owner. It's one we've seen many times before, but we're going to answer it again. If it was your own money and you have just one bike for the next four years, you want to do all the things, shuttles, epics, pedal for two hours to get to a descent, what is it going to be? Sarah, let's start with you. Well, I really liked my bike that got stolen. I probably could have ridden that for another four years. It was an Ibis Ripmo. Um but I've replaced it with the Norco site, which I mm-hmm. also am really enjoying. So I could probably ride that for another four years. Kaz, what about you? What bike would you like to ride for the next four years? Uh, it'd probably be something like that Stumpy Evo, maybe, or that Common Cell Meta TR. But then I just thought of another one, that raw jib that we have. 
but with mm. a negative two angle set. I was talking to Ruben from Raw, and I guess Dan Roberts has his setup like that, and that sounds really fun. So, what does that take it up to? Uh, it'd be like sixty-three-ish head angle, okay. with like one thirty-five mil travel, one fifty fork. I think that'd be real fun. I feel so, like that would suit that bike a lot, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I think something, yeah, something kind of probably aluminum, tough, relatively slack, but fun. So yeah, that's what I pick. It's funny how different we are, but how similar we are. I would also go stumpy, but I would not go Evo. And I would definitely, like, if it's going to be my bike that I'm going to ride for four years, I'm definitely going to get some, like, light wheels and, like, do all those silly things for sure. And But we're probably, we might be riding in a lot of the same places, but maybe some different places too. So I guess yeah. that makes sense. You're probably yeah. not surprised. Henry, what about you? One bike, four years. Do not tell me that goddamn Transition Spire. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, fuck. No, can I? No. Um, probably, uh, the, yeah, it'd be the transition spire. I'm sorry, it would be. I can't, I can't. Can I have the sentinel instead? That looks like a bit of me. Um, yeah, one of those two. In three sentences, tell me why you love that bike so much. I, I'm not, do, I'm not doing it. I feel like these people are just going to get bored to death. Transition, they haven't. They, like they, they they let me borrow a bike and they're getting their money's worth because I'm basically just a campaigner going from door to door canvassing on their behalf. Um, but yeah, no, it's just super light. It's super balanced, and um, its geometry is is really really good. Okay, I got a question for everybody. This is from KCY forty one thirty. We see this guy all the time. A year and a half ago, COVID shut down gyms and all sorts of other places, and a ton of new people got into mountain biking. He's wondering how many of these people are still riding now. And guys, a year from now, how many do you think are still going to be riding? Do you think the sport will hang on to that growth, Kaz? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have any hard and fast numbers. I can just go based on parking lot fill level around here, how, how busy trails have been. And I'd say that it's definitely busier than it used to be. Like the number of, is growing, but I'd say it has dropped a little bit. Obviously, it's been winter lately and muddy and nasty. And that's kind of like the first test for some mountain bikers, if they want to stay, you know, kind of be the more hardcore and go in all conditions or if they're going to be fair weather bikers in the summertime. But, um, yeah, so I don't have a hard and fast number. I would say the sport has grown. And I think that obviously some of those people are going to stop riding that, you know, people's work schedules change. They realize that mountain biking is hard and expensive and they don't like it. But I think that there's definitely a lot of newcomers that are going to stick around because we all know how fun mountain biking is. And once you find it, it's a pretty good time. So, um, yeah, I don't have any actual numbers, but I'd say that the sport has grown and I don't see it dropping off drastically there there will be a drop off though both of us live in a place where there are already a ton of riders so if there was like all of a sudden 200 more riders i'm not entirely convinced i would notice gas because everybody rides here already <laughs> this one's for you sarah this is about wilderness first aid first of all if you do a wilderness first aid we're going to talk about that in the future so ab hardtail can hear about it but he also has a question for you, Sarah. What emergency medical supplies are the most important to bring with you on a ride? Well, I haven't done the Wilderness First Aid course yet, but I'm looking forward to doing it this year. I'd say it depends on the time of year is a big one because I think this time of year, okay, when maybe not right now in Squamish, but if it's colder, I would say definitely hypothermia and shock and like making sure that you can keep somebody warm if they do get hurt is the number one thing um but then also you know having i'd say a big one is just being able to contact emergency services to get somebody out is a really big one so if you're in an area without cell phone service 
having something like a Garmin inReach or a spot device if your cell phone isn't going to work. Those are kind of the two big ones. And then, I mean, if you don't know how to use a splint and you're carrying around around, it's probably not really that useful. And I, uh, but you know, I always have like a couple little, like, I think Steri strips are a really good one to have. And, um, I usually have like a little like sling triangular bandage, you know, like I feel like collarbone and like puncture wounds are kind of like what you're going to encounter on most rides. Um, but if it's something bigger than that, you know, if it's a spinal, then just being able to hold the person there, it's not really much you can do until search and rescue is able to evacuate the person. It's like, you know, they say that to fix any child's goldfish, you can just replace it with a new goldfish. I take that of mountain biking friends. You know, if one friend gets injured, they're done to me. I'm just, I go for someone else. Even by the side of the trail. I'll just, <laughs> you just leave them out there to die. <laughs> I'll roll them off yeah. the trail just so people can carry on riding, throw their bike down. And just, um, see, I see that as a failure on my behalf. Yeah. If, if somebody goes riding with me and they crash, I'm like, oh my God, I didn't tell them about that thing. I should have known that that thing was going to, you know, nah, be a problem. I, and <laughs> Only the strong will survive the ride. And um, yeah, no, I just, I'll just get another friend. Yeah. I'll keep that in mind when I go riding with you. <laughs> what about you, Kaz? What do you bring with you? Uh, yeah, I'm with Sarah. Like, I mean, a lot of times I'm just going on a, my rides are closer to home, so I don't really bring a ton. But the stereo strips are like, they don't weigh anything and they're they're so tiny. So some stereo strips and triangle bandages is really like the best minimal first aid kit you can have. That could easily fit in any pack. And it's like, just saves you time. But really you can improvise too. Like taking those wilderness first aid courses and all that are great ways to get the basics. But then if you know, you know, that you could make a splint out of some sticks and, use a sock to sop up some blood or like there's a lot of ways you can figure things out it's just kind of knowing what to do or what needs to be done when someone gets hurt but uh, yeah they're helpful classes to take just to kind of get the basics down i have two things that i think are important one i ordered a spot device recently which will be good to have two super glue if you have a spot device and super glue you can do anything that you need to do out in the bush close wounds and call for help what else do you need to do Kind of, yeah. I mean, I will say, glue some bones back together. (laughs) Yeah, and a lot of like, if people are looking at first aid kits, a lot of times tend to be super expensive and overpriced when you realize what's in there. So if you're shopping for first aid kits to carry, look at what's in there. And if it's just a bunch of bandages, don't buy it. Like like actual band aids, they're so much cheaper to buy separately. Like it's there's kind of like a not a racket, but there is a, a a large number of overpriced first aid kits. So just make sure it's got things that are useful for the sport you're going to be doing. Like you don't need 12 bee sting kits if you live in a place without any bees, you know? <laughs> I definitely yeah, have a little first aid kit that you make up with your own stuff when you're yeah. happy. Like yeah. each time you have a scenario on a ride, you end up being like, oh, I should carry that extra thing. So now I carry that. So the more you ride, I feel like the more things you end up being like, ooh, I might need that thing. So, Kaz, as an American, are you suggesting that medical supplies and healthcare can be extortionately expensive? Because I, I don't believe that. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah, you should also carry some health insurance with you. That's also useful. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next question. This is from NJCBPS. This one kind of riled me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. He says, we're a single income family with kids, and it's only been recently that he's been able to afford this sport. Once the mortgage payments have diminished, he goes on to say, we're not seeing economies of scale yet, but we are seeing prices that reflect high demand. There are many folks here carrying water for overinflated bike prices, including pink bike staff. Henry, what do you make of that? I mean, what what can I say? I, I would like bikes to be cheaper. I 
I'm always criticizing bikes are being too expensive. I don't know. I have very They're little not too expensive. Control They're over. not. Well, no, but I mean, I think it depends which way you look at it. If you look at it as something like, you know, $10,000 for a bike is a huge amount of money, you know? Yeah. Um, so I would never recommend a $10,000 bike. I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. We'd, we'd always talk, we'd talk about this early one. It'd always be like Dior and like the Fox Performance or RockShox entry level stuff. Um, hey, I mean, it's kind of difficult because I think it's, it is something that gets leveled at us, but I don't know if it's really our cross to bear. Like people think maybe we have more why would it be than we do why would it be yeah like if people want bikes to become less expensive it's like people buying e-bikes stop fucking buying them like yeah demand drives at the prices yeah. what can what can we do <laughs> yeah i i mean i know we review a lot of really really expensive bikes but this comment irked me like if this guy wants to go mountain biking and he's got like huge mortgage payments and a family well first of all like not everybody can afford to do everything that's just like kind of how it is like i can't afford to do lots of stuff that i would like to do but also you don't need a six thousand dollar bike you can get a two thousand dollar mountain bike and have plenty of fun two thousand dollars is a lot of money fifteen hundred dollars is a lot of money five hundred dollars is a lot of money but that's way less expensive than many other sports and unfortunately to go mountain biking you need a mountain bike of some kind i don't know but also it's just a question of choices and priorities right because a lot of people like I can't afford to buy a house. I probably will never be able to afford to buy a house, but I can ride a nice bike. Some people can't afford to have children. You know what I mean? And so if we say, yeah. oh, well, I've got a house and I've got children, but mountain bikes are expensive. It's like, well, kids are really expensive too. And that was your choice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's 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 one of those things. It's like, I'm, I'm, I hope you're happy with whichever choices you make, but like how much pink bikes involvement is in that is, is pretty small, I think. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we're not out here. I mean, he says we're carrying water for overinflated bike prices. I don't think any of us want to see overinflated bike prices. Like, it'd be great if all the prices went down, but we're also not going to just, like, I don't, there's nothing. Yeah, if something seems exorbitantly expensive, we mention it, but we're also not going to stop reviewing expensive bikes and cheaper bikes and explaining which ones make sense and which ones don't. I don't. Yeah, it's yeah. expensive sport. We've all, all of us have made sacrifices to figure out how to get into it, whether it's working at bike shops or working multiple jobs or. I mean, yeah, it'd be sweet if bikes cost $10 and we could all have amazing things, but I just don't see how that can happen. I feel like I get a, a little bit like a hint of a hint of people just like thinking they need the fancy, fancy stuff, you know, and I think we're guilty of that too. Like, obviously we ride all these like super expensive bikes and we enjoy them because they're lighter and you know what? They, they do work better. And I'm not going to say that I have more fun, but I might go a little quicker or the bike might be a little more reliable, but I just like, dude, like if you want to ride a mountain bike, just go buy a cheap mountain bike. I don't understand what the problem is. You know, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm missing something here. Hey, since we're on, since we're on this sort of vein of commenters being uh, disappointed us, let's talk about e-bikes for a sec. Mooney2123 says, I predict I will hate e-bikes even more than I did last year. And Marky P1965 answers, yep, the more the bike industry and media pushes e-bikes, the more I'll grow to resent them. I'm going to take exception with that. I think that the bike industry as a whole, of course, like they want to sell bikes and make money. I don't think the media is pushing e-bikes. Do you, Henry? No. <laughs> okay, so in the, in the circle of events, like at Pink Bike, we don't make bikes, right? And we don't really buy bikes. People buy bikes and the brands try and meet that demand. So that's the relationship. And we're kind of just 
almost like you know with this the umpires at the side of the court calling the calling the points right what's good what's bad and expressing the details but you know with with the e-bike thing it's it's hard because like i'm i've got an opinion on e-bikes i don't own one i've, I've got no interest in them I, I can ride one and tell you if i think it's good or bad but i i'm not i'm not an advocate for e-bikes in any way but it's like um i think there's so much something it's like anything whether it's in the big scale bit politics or the world at large or um you know environmentalism sometimes you 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 get frustrated at the community you think you're part of not making a choice that you think reflects everyone's shared values but that's actually kind of your problem in a way because those are the shared values and they're making them very clear what they want the mountain biking community whichever the protestations of your you know your pink bike reader or whoever might make are really interested in e-bikes and like i i can't i can't go around convincing people not to be interested in e-bikes and it's not my job to if they are there's going to be demand and if there's demand it's going to be met and if people meet the demand and they make bikes we're going to talk about them because we're mountain biking journalists Mm -hmm. and that's just how it goes so yeah sometimes i just think people get in their own bubble a bit and they're like think there's a huge conspiracy and it's like ultimately the demand is going to largely lead the conversation on this one yeah and i'll say like i I used to hate e-bikes and resent them and all that stuff and and now that i've ridden a ton of them i don't really mind them at all they're fun like i'll ride one once a week or something and it's fine and i think that it's all you know in the beginning i do think that there was a unnecessary push by a lot of bike companies trying to make it seem like this will be the future this will take away all of the you know non-motorized bike which i still hate that sentiment like i think that there's place in the sport for both um so I, you know i think in the the initial push for e-bikes was definitely jarring is kind of like, wait what's happening no this isn't going to be the future but i do think there is a place for e-bikes they're not going away i think the more important thing for people rather than hating them is making sure that your local riding area has a plan in place to either accommodate them or regulate them um, and make sure that you minimize the user conflicts because i do get the sentiment that there are probably plenty of people in areas where there aren't clear rules they're getting buzzed by e-bikes it's just getting chaotic so if you get some rules in place and you know whether it's directional trails or certain trails for certain bikes, I think that can help minimize conflict. And then you can just ride your regular bike and Billy can ride his e-bike and everybody can be just out in the woods having a good time. Does it remind you of, um, you know, on one side we have, it's similar to like the snowboard versus skis thing, right? On one side, you clearly have the right thing for the job. It's elegant. It's about the spirit of the sport. It's about getting out there. On the other hand, you have people that want to go sliding down on a cardboard plank, whatever the fuck it is. You know what I mean? It's clearly not the right thing for the job. It's like eating soup with a fork. It's a terrible idea. And that's like e-biking. But if people want to do it, I can't stop them. I've never liked you more, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I mean, uh, yeah, like I don't, that's the thing. Like, I don't even argue about it anymore. If somebody wants to say they hate them, it's like, that's fine. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like, And if they went away tomorrow, I wouldn't care either. But because they exist, they're kind of interesting too. There was that big conversation in the 80s about you know snowboarders coming on the slopes and ruining skiing and actually after a couple of years you realize actually it doesn't really affect you and if you keep your head down you're still gonna have a good time and i think it's kind of a bit like that exactly and and you know another reason they're getting a lot of coverage from the media is because that's where a lot of these companies have been investing their time in the last couple of years they kind of had their mountain bike program set so like oh we're gonna make some e-bikes so that's why all of a sudden there's a bunch of e-bike product launches so hopefully in the next couple of years all these companies will everybody will have both kinds of bikes and it'll kind of sort itself out again Kaz, you mentioned e-bike product launches there. If we didn't cover all of these e-bike product launches, we wouldn't be doing our job. You know, I, I personally, like just like Henry, I'm not interested in e-bikes, but 
you know, it's we're covering them. And when there's a new one, just like when there's a new Santa Cruz or a new specialized regular mountain bike, we have to cover the new e-bikes as well. But it's a bit like, imagine if you were like a highbrow film critic, right? And you're there into your French cinema and all your nuance. And then you've got to go review the Avengers. It's your job. You're going to go down there and you're going to go, oh, well, Batman looks, you know, and his leotard looks pretty cool. And don't forget the guy that's made out of rock or whatever. I don't know. But your personal your personal preferences have to be put to one side a bit, you know, and yeah. you have to be able to. It's just how it is. Question, question for you, Henry. Would you rather go for an e-bike ride or a Zwift ride? Zwift. Really? Oh. Interesting. Really? I'm surprised. Oh, yeah, I think e-bike hands down. <laughs> yeah, outdoors e-bike or in your is, yeah, exactly. it's a terrible room, way to garage, spend your time. Yeah. It makes you weak as a person. It destroys your soul. I don't um, even have to talk. This is great. <laughs> just going on. I, <laughs> He's saying all the things I want to say but won't. <laughs> but in two years from now, I want to see where Henry's at in two years. That'll be my yeah. thing. Just see once he rides. Oh, no, I'll, I'll be even more entrenched and stubborn. Like this is a one-way ticket, baby. He's like, Only did, are you Marky P? 1965 and you actually wrote this comment (laughs) the more the bike industry and media pushes the e-bikes the more i'm going to resent them (laughs) but before we move on to the next question we should actually just mention this for a second is that our opinions have have changed for sure kaz your opinion has changed my opinion has changed i mean you were you weren't like an ardent anti-e-bike person screaming death to e-bikes but you were you weren't interested in them oh, at yeah, no, all. I was interested. Yeah, and I wrote some op-eds. Didn't he write an op-ed? Yeah. I'm pretty he sure just said, he's one of those yeah. screaming people. <laughs> I'd say I was medium screaming. Yeah. Cause, and I mean, part of it was because those initial e-bikes just sucked. Like they were oh, heavy God. and clunky yeah. and there was no support for them. And, but I also just, yeah, I was kind of like hanging on to my purest values. So I've given up on that part because who cares? <laughs> like life's <laughs> yeah. short, whatever. Um, but, and I've ridden more and kind of realized the niche that they, they occupy. Like it's not going to be my everyday bike, but it is fun to do. It's like a different sport, like we've said a thousand times. You just do yeah. different rides, different things. So, yeah. yeah, there's a place for them. A question for you, honest answer. Um, would you ride e-bikes if it wasn't part of your job? If I could afford it, yeah. yeah. That's another thing. They're expensive, you know, but if I had enough disposable income to have a regular mountain bike and an e-bike, yeah, I think I'd have one at this point, especially in the wintertime. Like when it's super nasty out and you can, um, they can get you a little bit further and you can get your ride like get more miles in a set amount of time. I think they're useful. Yeah. And the handling, I think it improves your upper body strength. I don't want to sound like the e-bike apostle here. Or, or Chaz is pushing is. e-bikes oh, on yeah, Like nobody here. needs to ride e-bikes, but if you get a chance, <laughs> like they're, I think off season is a pretty good time. And then as it gets towards the regular time, you can get back more on your regular bike. Yeah. Henry's got yeah. the counterpoint here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I, I agree with Kaz. I, mean, I, I think that the e-biking to me was in its sweet spot when they all looked like, you know, a snake that swallowed a goose because it kept people away. It makes me a lot more uncomfortable now they look really good. But I think that... <laughs> they don't look good. What e-bikes are you looking at? They, they do look oh, They're better. starting to, though. They're getting closer. Uh, yeah, they're, they're much, much more... Yeah. I, I think the argument that they're fun... I think the argument that they're fun and they require... They're just a good way to get outdoors. That doesn't actually bother me. It used to annoy me when people would tell me, like... I used to have big arguments with an old colleague of mine. He was telling me that, they, like you've got a better workout and stuff and it's like if you're predominantly someone that doesn't like suffering and pain that's absolutely fine like there's no right or wrong answer an e-bike is a great way to avoid that good for you but when they pretend that it's for any other reasons other than a time-saving energy-saving device that kind of used to irk me a bit but i've calmed down a bit now kaz kaz might disagree with you there i think well i do i mean yeah i don't think like your leg like your 
your leg fitness or whatever is, is, is improved, but I do think your upper body strength actually improves from tossing around the heavy e-bike. So I think that could help with your like descending. If you hop on the lighter bike, you get more, like I've had my yeah, pecs well, sore from e-bike riding, which seems silly. Pecs? I don't yeah. fucking believe you, Cass. I'll show you pecs. Look, you want to see? <laughs> You're flat as a yeah. board like me, Cass. Yeah. We two don't little have pecs. pecs. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. It doesn't. At the end of the day, who cares? Yeah. That, like people, mm. I read these comments, people are getting so riled and people feel so threatened. And I can understand some of the concern about wilderness areas and things like motorized vehicles. But in the grand scheme of things, like, who cares? You know, people are going to be out there in the bush having fun, doing their thing. I don't care if they're on a $12,000 e-bike that weighs 50 pounds or they're riding a 20-pound specialized Epic and working harder for it. Who cares? I don't care. I mean, I feel, I yeah. feel very cheery coming into this year. And I think I've, I've kind of, you know, really clung on to that sort of idea. Like, it doesn't matter because in the environmental holocaust that we're heading to in 50 years... It's not going to ma- matter what type of bike you're running up a hill. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's all good, baby. <laughs> the end is nigh. Yeah. Drink it in. <laughs> okay, let's get through three or four more questions before we wrap this up. We're going to talk about tires for a second. This one is for me, but I'm going to pass it over to you guys. He wants to know what tires we go for when we're trying to get rowdy on a smaller bike. Uh, he's looking for a good balance between pedaling and performance grip. Casimir. Um, I mean, let's see. Lately, like on my spur, since it's been kind of wintry, I put a specialized butcher up front with an eliminator in the rear, and that's a pretty good combo. Like it's a little bit faster rolling that eliminator, but it still digs in when it's um kind of sloppy. Also, the yeah Maxxis dissector. I've had good luck with that as a rear tire. And then you can put something, maybe if you ran like a minion up front, still the minion's faster rolling than the Asagai, but it's still moderately aggressive. It's pretty aggressive for a if you're talking about like a short traveled bike. Um, yeah, it's something in that vein. I'd agree with Kaz. Go big up front when you can, especially this time of the year. And if you want to think about faster rolling, go something, use something lighter in the back. Also, as much as I think tire inserts are a silly solution, they work really, really well when we're talking about like, you know, light duty tires. If you're looking for something lighter, you combine it with like a lighter insert of some sort, and you'll hopefully have a more reliable setup than just running, you know, a eight or 900 gram tire on its own that might get sliced if you live somewhere like we do oh this next one's about aliens we should probably just get right to it then jms gns jim is just he has a question for me he says he just watched the film arrival from 2016 he says the aliens are pretty cool but he was disappointed that they weren't weirder he wants to know if i've seen the film if i have any thoughts about how they're presented or if i have a favorite movie that i feel gives like an accurate there's no accurate because we don't know arrival was super cool though it was really neat how it was portrayed um but yeah i don't know there's lots of crazy things flying around out there and i think all these alien movies are just guessing so kaz how come you're not interested in this stuff i I don't feel like i have time to dive down the alien conspiracy yeah plant thing i mean if they show up it'd be cool I'd, i'd look out the window and be entertained but i just don't feel like i have enough room in my brain to go down that alien rabbit hole yeah I guess the the reason that I ask is like all this crazy stuff that's flying around. It, it like it's literally the most interesting thing that's happening in the world, and we should all be talking about it instead of being distracted by like all this like fucking the fake things that actually that affect their normal life. 
Uh, we think so. We think so. <laughs> anyway, I'm not <laughs> aliens don't affect my day to day. When they do, I'll pay attention and I'll learn all I can about them. But until then, <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm not convinced you're right on that, Kaz. But hey, who knows? The aliens <laughs> are affecting your daily out. life. Possibly. I mean, the internet is pretty bad on this podcast, so that's oh, probably controlled by the aliens. Yeah, the aliens doing it. <laughs> well, Kaz, like clearly, there's things flying around up there. People are seeing them with their eyes at the same time that people are seeing them on radar. They're leaving physical signs sometimes. Sometimes they're nuts and bolts, and sometimes they appear to be like a... Wait, there's an alien like, spacecraft nuts and bolts? Where are those? We don't know. <laughs> Hold on. I want to know we what they are nuts aliens. and bolts. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I guess my, my thing is like this topic... It, it should be taken seriously, and it's, like, the most interesting thing that's happening, and I, I can't understand how, like, if you see these things, you're not interested in them, you know? Where are they from? What is it? Are they from here? Are they from somewhere else? Who knows? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. There's just so many crackpots with YouTube channels spouting off about crazy stuff that I don't really have time, but I'll let you filter it for me. You just send me some key things I should watch, and I'll, I'll look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, Kaz... Since you said that, I made a list. I think you should watch. <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> yeah, you should watch The Phenomenon. For anybody listening, if you're interested in this stuff, watch The Phenomenon, the if Basement Office interested. series. <laughs> the thing is, you guys are laughing, but tons of people are interested in this. It's crazy what's it's going no, on. It's, it's, it's For anyone not, that can't see, Levy has a tinfoil hat on right now. It's, just... <laughs> it's, it's not, not relevant. It's not relevant. Or it's not interesting. Like, I'm sure it is, but it's just like there are so many things in the world that I should care about that I just don't. And this is just one of them. You know? Yeah, I think there's lots yeah, of things fine. in this world that we care about that we shouldn't. But yeah, this isn't one of them. But anyways, yeah, we're, yeah. Speaking of bikes, we're probably on arrivals. A sick Let's... movie <laughs> 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 from Seamus F. Any thoughts out there in Pinkerland about what is the better option: a carbon bike with alloy rims or an aluminum bike with carbon rims? Kaz, we talk about this all the time. Tell me again: uh, aluminum bike with aluminum rims. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that would be my pick. <laughs> I don't think it matters. I mean, either one, either one of those choices is better or worse. Like you can, they make really good alloy rims now. They make really good carbon rims. They make good carbon bikes. They make good aluminum bikes. So it's personal preference. Comes down to budget a lot of times. But I don't think there's one that's like this is going to be the best thing. So I tend to go yep. towards aluminum yep. if it's my own money because it's cheaper. But there's nothing wrong with carbon. Uh, this question from. Mm-hmm. Music, pink bike user music. He wants to know: Does constant recycling of topics really matter? <laughs> Which is a pertinent question, considering <laughs> I just asked you a question, Kaz. That I mean, I, th- I think I've asked you that question twenty times. Yeah. yeah. The thing is, there's there's only so many things to talk about, and there's new bikes coming out, new gear coming out. So, yeah, I mean, the topics themselves are recycled, but we're learning new things. We have different perspectives. We've been different people on to talk about this stuff. And this is why we need to do the. What F1 do you think podcast? about that, Kaz? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, we try Get to keep, keep them entertaining, but if yeah, people have some topics we haven't touched on, let us know. We're all, we got plenty of, uh, we're going to be doing these forever. So <laughs> we're going to obviously recycle some things, but if someone, if there's a topic we haven't talked about, just let us know. We'll probably talk about it. We just talked about aliens. So there's all kinds of things. Yeah. That's a scary thought. All of us just like standing here with like gray hair. And <laughs> really we're old, there. Like, we're... <laughs> so Kaz, what do you think of 29 inch wheels, Casper? <laughs> I mean, we just talked to RC this morning and RC is in his later 60s. So we're not yeah. getting, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. So. <laughs> 25 yeah. years. What'll be the next uh, 
people it'll be like 3d versions of us that people can watch or something yeah my avatar can talk about hover bikes in the metaverse (laughs) god (laughs) speaking of scary uh next question this one is actually from czk123 Cass, he wants to know about the status review that disappeared off the main page so i reviewed a status a specialized status last year I wrote the entire review as if the bike had 160 mils when it only had 140 mils of travel. There's two different status bikes. They look pretty damn similar to me. And that was a really rushed review and I got it wrong. So we pulled it and we were going to redo the review. Uh, But as usual, I mean, there's so much going on. But I should say, I think Matt Beer is on the new status. So there is a status review coming up real soon. That's yeah, great. I think it's one of those funny things when you, if you're reviewing a bike, or I've had a bike reviewed a while ago where they sent me the wrong geometry chart, like some of the values were wrong. And so it's really hard because you're trying to, you find, you feel that something's off and then you can often accredit it for wrong things, even though it's the right mm-hmm. answer, but it's the wrong way to get to it, you know? And um, like I had that yeah. Rocky Mountain and, and the balance was the element we had on the first ride was was way off and basically we talked about this before but it was a personal bike and it was like 800 mil wide bars with these big grips on and I thought my weight was always over the front and I thought oh, I would normally ride like 760 it can't be that much worse and then uh, I looked at the geometry chart and the, the stack height was wrong on the geometry chart and I was like oh well, that's what it was and then it wasn't yeah but I accredited to that in the video and you can't go back and it's it's hard ah yeah yeah yeah, the thing is, like, we are riding different bikes all the time. There are so many numbers, and sometimes we get numbers that are wrong. Sometimes we get bikes that aren't right. Like, that status didn't have any stock parts on it. It was a frame that Specialized had put really nice parts on it for whatever reason. And it ended up being confusing, and we got it wrong, and it was pulled. But, yeah, we're going to post another status review, and we'll fix it. Uh, we're going to finish up here with a couple more questions. This one is about being a home mechanic. He says he's ridden and broken many bikes and he's slowly built up his home mechanic skills so he could keep them running smoothly. But one thing he hasn't learned is how to service his own suspension. Kaz, should he learn to service his own suspension or is that something that you should leave to the experts? No, I think, I mean, at the very least, doing a lower service or doing a like an air can rebuild on an air shock, those are really simple things to do. You could watch the videos, and, and once you get it figured out, it's you know less than half an hour to do your lowers on most forks. And same thing with the, the uh, like maintaining the air sleeve on your on your air shock. It's just a matter of popping it off, replacing some more rings, putting some grease on, putting it back together for the shock. Same thing with the lowers. You're just basically replacing that lower bath oil. Um, going into a full rebuild is definitely something a home mechanic can learn, but it does take more time and just kind of depends on how deep you want to dive in there but i think that the lower service is something that totally doable by any um even just kind of entry-level home mechanic i'd say yeah i'd agree just dropping lowers can save you a huge headache down the road and your suspension is going to work way better so and that is a relatively simple thing all you need is a a hacksaw and a grinder and some glasses no (laughs) (laughs) a hammer you need a hammer too (laughs) don't listen to me (laughs) all right we're going to wrap this up with a good question about something that I know Casimir has strong feelings about electronic suspension. So this question is for myself and Henry. It's from Mr. Ha. He says, do you foresee electronic suspension being banned at the pro level for downhill racing? 
as it effectively takes away riders' skill, he says. He goes on to say that he could see it happening similar to how F1 uh, bans CVT, ABS, traction control, all those things. Um, but all that technology did trickle down to the consumer. So, Henry, do you see a future where pro racers can't use electronically controlled self-adjusting suspension, but we can? I think they'd have to start using it first. I mean, apart from Loic Bruni, maybe in Portugal, I think he had that, that lockout. Um, I don't know if it compensates for rider skill necessarily. I think because, it, you know, the the damp the damping adjustment basically seems to be between a pedaling platform. It's not like it it's, you know, making riding through rocks unbelievably easy or anything like that. Um but I, I can I can I can't see why not. The UCI has a checkered history of banning and removing and also any sort of weird thing from the height of your socks to the um to the stage of production that your bike's at. So who knows? I don't think it's probably gonna make that much difference. And like I said, I think the a lot of races are actually quite conservative and I think the biggest thing is going to be getting them to start running it when they're not um, mandated to by sponsors but out of free will yeah I would agree with that I don't think any of these guys are going to be super keen to be using this stuff and it's that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the stuff necessarily but it just means that racers just like what they use right Kaz they get stuck in their ways that's what they're used to they know they have success with this they know this is how this works um I don't see it being banned. No, yeah, I just don't think it would. No, I just don't think it's going to provide the same level of advantage that some of that stuff would in F1 or something like that. Where it's you know that it's a little bit. I mean, it's a different sport, obviously. So I think that riding a bike is a little bit more rider. The rider is doing more to the bike than what the driver of an F1 car is doing. You know. Yeah, I would say that in enduro racing, I wouldn't be surprised on a on a course where there's a lot of pedaling. I mean, obviously your bike pedals better and moves faster when the suspension is locked out or firmed up. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw that. Have we seen any EWS pros using flight attendant yet? Yeah, I think Charlie Murray maybe used it last year. Do we, yeah. We had it towards the end of the season. Yeah, but I just don't see it being banned. Like I see it being no. coming more common for sure because you know companies are working on it. Um, but I just don't see it as being such a performance advantage that they would some reason ban it in racing. All right, we're going to end it on that. Let's wrap up our 100th episode, but definitely put more of your questions under this and every other podcast. We try to answer a few of them each show, but I also stockpile all the questions that we don't answer for future Q&A episodes like this one. So what should you expect from the show over the next 12 months? A whole lot more of the same. We're going to have more interviews, more serious, and definitely more less serious podcasts and all sorts of fun. And we're possibly going to add another weekly show. So stay tuned for that. For 2022, tell us what you want to see from the Pink Bike Podcast. Put those comments and questions down below and we'll answer them in a future episode. We'll see you there.